Welcome to Death is Hilarious, the show that explores how I and my fellow creatives are using comedy and humor to cope with grief, trauma, and loss. I hope that you too can find some relief today with a few laughs. Before I get started, I'd also like to thank our patrons, Liz Moya, Takora Stevenson-Fields, Sarah Long, and Trenton Bennett for their support on Patreon. We couldn't produce the show without you. I've been creating the podcast Death is Hilarious for a year now. If you're new to the podcast, it's a show that explores how we as comedians and creatives use comedy and dark humor to cope with grief through storytelling and jokes. In some episodes, I interview artists and entertainers. And in other episodes, my creative collaborator, Sam Peterson, and I read each other funny letters we've written about trauma and loss in what I call comedy routines masquerading as correspondence. Altogether, I've produced over 100 podcast episodes to date. But Death is Hilarious wasn't always the show I produced. My husband George and I created a podcast called The Dirty Bits. It was about the sexy, scandalous, and salacious stories your teacher probably left out of class. You can still hear the episodes we produced on this feed. We did pretty well until his health took a turn for the worse. He had hypoplastic right heart syndrome, and that condition comes with a ton of comorbidities. He was in and out of the hospital during most of 2019, but was responding to treatment and seemed to be doing better in the fall. Then he died. And that was not hilarious. It was the worst day of my life. I found his body on the floor in our kitchen and tried to resuscitate him on the phone with 911 until the EMTs arrived. It was very messy, and I now live with PTSD. George was the first and only person who loved me unconditionally. I didn't have any other family, and I didn't really have any close friends locally at the time. So, I planned on ending my life, because as far as I knew, I was alone in the world. But as I was laying there on top of his body, sobbing violently, the trauma specialist they brought onto the scene approached me and was trying to get me to stand up, get some water, and take a walk because they needed to put his body in a black bag and take him away. And all I could think of was that I did not want them to do that because I was not done being with him. I wanted to lie next to him while I took my life. So I opened my mouth, looked at the specialist, and said, yeah, I don't want you guys to take the body, but I guess you kind of have to, otherwise you're liable to end up with a Norman Bates situation from Psycho, and that's not good. The specialists started cracking up, and the EMTs started cracking up, because they're all sickos who use dark humor to cope with the shit they see every day. And I started to feel that very familiar feeling that every comedian and performer gets when they hear laughter and applause. Oxytocin just washed over my body. Now, I've never done heroin, but I'd imagine it probably feels pretty close to this. So then I said, or I mean, I could just weekend at Bernie's it and drag him around on my shoulder and see how long it takes for people to notice he's dead. Everybody started laughing again. And it was in that moment that I realized, okay, so maybe nobody loves me anymore, and maybe I'm totally alone in this world, but I can still make people laugh. And that's pretty close to feeling loved. And that's what initially stopped me from taking my life that day. Now, I'm a working actor, so I don't have a ton of money in the bank. 
I also live in the U.S., so there are literally no social safety nets for widows or anyone else for that matter. So as a working actor, I have to audition and hustle every day. And podcasting is anywhere from a quarter to a third of my income, depending on how well my Patreon and ads on the show are selling. I had to go back to work pretty much immediately. But I didn't want to create the dirty bits anymore. All I wanted to do was talk about George, and I wanted to find relief from the constant pain. So I decided to change the podcast to Death is Hilarious. The title is sarcastic, and I feel like I need to say that because I'm American and not a lot of my fellow country people understand that. It was a messy transition, and it didn't always have this format that you'll hear on the show today. I think the first 10 to 20 episodes were just me processing and creating content because I had to. A year later, there's a consistent format, and I feel like I'm getting my footing while still evolving and growing. Much of this is due to the support of the podcast community, who showed up when the people who should have been there for me were absent at best and downright intentionally hurtful at worst. People like Josh from True Crime Bullshit, Hannah from Boozy Movies, and Lainey from True Crime Fan Club Podcast organized a benefit for me when I was on the verge of homelessness and was in and out of the hospital because of chronic health issues. I wouldn't be here today without those friends who loved me when it wasn't easy— and when not many other people cared. And it was also one of George and my listeners, Pennsylvania Sarah, as we call her, who was on the phone with me almost every day, all day for a year, when I was isolated in the place I found my husband's body during the entirety of 2020, just four months after he died. She spent Thanksgiving and Christmas with me on Zoom when nobody in San Diego invited me to spend the holidays with them. So it wasn't just comedy that saved my life, but so many podcasters. And also my dog, who won't let anyone else brush her teeth but me, and she has periodontal, and I can't off myself and let her suffer like that. I went from clinging to the edge of a cliff by my fingernails, struggling to stay alive, to living in a beautiful home in a gorgeous neighborhood with a housemate I love very much who also loves me in the span of a year. I'm now finding unprecedented success in my career. I've cut all of the toxic people out of my life, and I've come to realize that experiencing romantic love again is a possibility. And that's why, if anyone's listening right now, and you feel like ending your life, know that it can always get better. And I'm not going to lie to you, it might not get better. (laughs) It might get worse. But if you end it, it for sure won't ever get better. That's the end. There's no respawn point like in a video game. It's just game over forever without any chance of things ever improving. If I would have ended my life when I was at my rock bottom, I would have missed this dramatic and happy plot twist that happened in my story really just three months ago. So in honor of all of these milestones today, I'd like to share with you some of my favorite moments from the past 35 episodes that have given me hope, perspective, and laughter. In this first clip, My friend Michael Drain, professor of abnormal psychology, psychodiagnostics and treatment planning, psychopathology, developmental psychology, and counseling theory at Antioch University, and host of the Unpopular Culture podcast, joined me to chat about the efficacy and the validity of using dark humor to cope with grief, trauma, and loss. So you're taking something that could be 
that it is very devastating. And then all the ways that you could be responding to it, you are choosing to respond to it with humor. And another thing humor does, dark humor, it's a, it, it helps you do something called cognitive repraisal. It's a highly effective emotional regulation strategy. Mm. Black humor in particular takes a negative event and reconsiders it in a less threatening point of view. So it's a way to soften the entire experience. And just the act of laughing itself has physiological impacts, mm-hmm. like increases oxygen and lowers your blood pressure. It's a bonding uh, mechanism in society. So, you know, there's all these different aspects of dark humor that are wildly adaptive and very successful. And the idea, I think the thing about dark humor is, I don't know about you, Tony, you tell me, but like it, people think you're kind of like a weirdo if you're if you're into dark humor. Even in the movies, dark comedies typically don't do as well because there's not enough of the general audience that clicks with that kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I do, absolutely. That was part of the issue I had when I started using it to cope. The people around me, it wasn't even necessarily th- that they didn't understand. They were offended that right. I was using dark comedy, dark humor to cope with the reality of the situation. And what you had said about absurdism, that was what really rang true for me was it was absurd that I was 28 and a widow. That's ridiculous. And the only way that I was able to survive truly because I was having suicidal ideation immediately after my husband died was to use that humor and to make light of it and to bring those endorphins out because I'm not the kind of person that's going to get happy from running on a treadmill. Like, that's just going to make me want to kill myself even more. (laughs) That's miserable. (laughs) (laughs) Like, who gets happy on that? What are you talking about? I don't know. Like, there's people apparently that are that masochistic that actually enjoy working out. I'm not one of them. That's weird. (laughs) Really weird. weird. But, um, yeah, I, I understood more of why dark humor doesn't do quite as well. People are very offended by it. Right. And a lot of that has to do with culture. Mm -hmm. So we have certain programmed responses that are considered socially acceptable within the macro society that each of us lives in. And our culture dictates standards and social norms for us. And we are like good little uh, program citizens should be following those norms and standards. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think normal is very, very overrated. And actually there's a lot of utility in being something different and pulling away from the mainstream. But that's what you get. You get that blowback from the macro society who Well, and they're not saying this explicitly, but the idea is basically like, well, why are you handling it that way? We wouldn't be handling it that way. You're not behaving the way we would expect. And so we're going to, we're judging you because you're different is pretty much what it comes down to. In a segment from our episode called Fleabag Widow, I perform a bit about getting catfished after using a dating app for the first time in my life after my husband died. I didn't know what I was doing and had way too much faith in the men of San Diego which will quickly become evident. So, about a month after my husband died, I started bumbling through Mm. one app in particular. Jesus, Toddy. In an attempt to fill the literal void inside of me with various swarthy sacks of meat who reminded me that, just like vegan cheese, nothing is ever really good as the original. Mm. But I found that when presented with the choice of imitation cheddar or nothing, I will decide not to be a picky eater. (laughs) 
That's why I swiped right on the guy who looked like 1980s Christopher Atkins, which is not even the most obscure reference I've ever made. For those of you who aren't 50 or just, I don't know, normal, Christopher Atkins was the male lead in this awful movie called Blue Lagoon with Brooke Shields, where he played this impossibly jacked and scantily clad young man stranded on a deserted island. I think all I have in my head is Christopher Watkins. That's a totally different vibe. Totally different vibe. <laughs> Continue about your man from the Blue Lagoon. This Blue Lagoon man had fair skin and blonde hair. Usually not my type, but again, I realize that this is a cheese substitute situation and my expectations are already low. <laughs> Sam? Mm-hmm. I was catfished. Oh, no. <laughs> what showed up at my door was not what was advertised on Dick Dash. Oh, no. So I'm standing there looking at what's in front of me and thinking, I was married to George fucking Plattis, the hottest person I've ever seen in real life. I am not fucking the man in neon green harem pants. <laughs> so about 45 minutes later, I'm fucking the man. <laughs> he was there and he had a pulse, which is more than I can say for my husband right now. <laughs> I only slept with him like five more times after that. Oh, daddy. <laughs> yeah, you might be wondering why I did this if I wasn't especially attracted to the man. <laughs> yes, I am wondering. <laughs> there are two reasons. The first reason is because I'd never dated or slept with an airhead before, and I wanted to know what the appeal is for so many people. Have you ever slept with an airhead, Sammy? Actually, no, no, don't answer that. You and I used to date. Don't answer that. (laughs) You're not an airhead. You're too sharp and pointy. (laughs) Those are my elbows, not my intellect. (laughs) Not your intellect. (laughs) Next up. Glenn Tickle, comedian, writer, and the creator of one of my favorite stand-up specials of all time, Good Grief, spoke with me on this episode about using comedy to cope with the unexpected loss of his young brother in a car accident, and shares some of his jokes from the special. I feel like we all have our favorite funniest moments from the funeral or just right after our loss. Yeah, it's in the show. It is, it's what I would say is the single... (laughs) Like if I if I have to send a clip of this show to people to try to explain what it is, it's it's this bit. Um, it was a couple days after my my brother died. My, I went down to my parents' house and I was sitting at the edge of their pool, and there was a ladybug that fell in the water, mm-hmm. and I saved it because growing up, it was my chore in the summer was like pool maintenance. <laughs> I would skim it and vacuum it and stuff. So I spent a lot of time like pulling bugs out of the pool. And I would try to save them because uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm nice. And I saw this bug <laughs> drowning. I'm like, come out. And I put it up on the deck and it stayed next to me for a long time. And it was drying its wings out. And I took a nice picture with its wings out and I put it on Instagram. I, th- I forget what the caption was, but it was about what a hero I was for saving the bug. <laughs> and almost immediately, a friend of mine commented, she's like, you know what? That's probably your brother. And immediately I'm like, this is, this is, it wasn't, I didn't have plans of doing the show yet, but I was already writing down jokes. I'm like, this is going in. Um, because my, my friend Leanne who did it, like we're close enough that I wasn't upset with her or anything. I deleted her comment. Uh, and then she texted me. She's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not mad. It's just, it's an incredibly dumb thing to say. <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's so, it's, so, uh, of course, that's not my brother. That's a ladybug. He's an adult. They're di- like, he's an adult human man. 
He's six one. The bug is probably half a centimeter. Like they're so very different. And then in the full joke, like I explain all the reasons why my dead brother is not now a ladybug, <laughs> like the life cycle. Cause it was only a couple days after it happened. I'm like, uh, I forget it. I forget the wording of it, but I looked up on Wikipedia, like how long it takes to go from an egg to an adult ladybug. <laughs> and I go through a couple different points in the show. I'm like, that's my, that's my favorite one to tell because even though it is about losing my brother, just how absurd of an idea it is to me that he is now an insect mm -hmm. dr almost drowning in my parents' pool. Um, <laughs> Can't is, catch a break. I know. It's so ridiculous. Well, that was <laughs> one of the points. I'm like, it's not nice because... If I wasn't there, that's twice in one week my brother has to die. That's not that's not nice to say. I think I left it in the show, but during the show, I, I printed out large print photos. of There's the ladybug, a couple of my, my brother, my siblings when we were all young. Uh, I gave her the big ladybug picture. She has it up in her apartment. <laughs> that's great. One of the ones that I really enjoyed was, I, I think your unfunny sister was actually really funny <laughs> to me. The one about the coffee. Oh, yeah. The same thing. I laughed so hard. That was either the day it happened or the day after, because I live in the same town as my parents. Uh, we all live fairly close. So after it happened, like my parents' house sort of became home base for everybody for a while. Mm -hmm and neighbors and stuff were coming and my sister is obs borderline obsessed with dunkin donuts iced coffee so one of the things that people say to you is if there's anything i can do just let me know and in the show i i give a list of things that i don't think people should say mm -hmm. to somebody who's lost someone but that one i'm like you can say it but you have to mean it mm -hmm. and everybody was saying it to my sister and she was telling everybody she's like you know, it, if you don't have to do it right now, but if you could get me a Dunkin' Donuts iced coffee with uh, two creams and three caramel swirls, I'd really appreciate it. And everybody did it because that's such a small ask. Like we live, we, there's three Dunkin' Donuts within a mile of my parents' house. And they're like, oh yeah, of course. And they would go and get it and bring it back to my sister. And she'd already have one because somebody else had already given her. And then she would put it down behind her. And she had like a table of just half finished <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts iced coffees. <laughs> And I saw her take the one that somebody, I saw her ask someone to get her the coffee. They went and got it, came back, handed it to her. And then when I saw her put it down next to like a dozen other ones, <laughs> I, I had to leave the room because I felt bad for laughing so hard when everybody was like, hey, how's it, how are you holding up? Like, are you going to, you know, everybody's so sad and I'm like crying laughing. <laughs> I'm like, you can ask later. Like, you don't. And she's like, I just really need the iced coffee. <laughs> I'm like, you don't need 12 of them right now. She's like, you don't know what I need. <laughs> Yeah, that's so maybe I'm wrong. That was she. I don't think she was doing it to be funny. But if she was, it's the best bit I think I've ever seen in my life. Because that was my question when you're like, oh, my sister's not funny. I'm like, isn't she, though? Like, was that not intentional? <laughs> it was definitely intentional. Like she was trying to get as much iced coffee as possible. But I don't think she was doing it because she thought, isn't it hilarious how many iced coffees I have? <laughs> This next segment is from when I spoke with stand-up comedian Rich Kiamko, who you may recognize from Bravo's Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, Netflix in BuzzFeed's Follow This, and the Broadway Comedy Club. Rich's partner, Sandy Gunner, was diagnosed with COVID on February 7, 2021. 
and passed away on March 16th, just 19 days before we chatted. The first show I did after I buried him, which was like two days after I buried him, I, mm-hmm. I, I opened the show, did lots of crowd work. This is Zoom. So you're just going from screen to screen of each person doing crowd work. Yeah. 15 minutes, very silly, light, and really good. I'm solid at my crowd work. And then I bring a comic up. And then I'm like, after that comic, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm going to talk about it. You know, and I, yeah. I had talked, I had talked about it, you know, the day after burying him on a couple open mics with a bunch of bros. Who cares? A bunch of bros. They don't fucking count. Yeah. You know, and it's in a way I like that sometimes these are like little glory hole open mics. You're just blowing your joke load in this <laughs> random Zoom and then yes. you leave. Because that's what a mic is like. It can be. But these were guys that sort of knew, knew me. They knew the story of what was going on. So it was dark and funny. And they were laughing because I was like roasting all of them. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to... Bros are easy to roast. Mm-hmm. So... I brought that and did that on the actual show. So in between each comic, I did a couple jokes about him dying and the things I'm encountering. And it was like so cathartic. And uh, it was actually funny. I'm like, oh my God, they're all laughing because it's so crazy. It is. Uh, It's so absurd. And that's something I always mention to people is that there is this absurdism around death, especially when you're young too, and you're a young widow, widower, whatever your preferred phrase is, there is just some of this absurdism and surrealism, and that's what comedy is made out of. Right. I think it's always been my survival mechanism for diffusing pain. Right. But if I'm doing it consciously going, I'm, you know, and the joke I say too is like, look, I'm looking death in the face and I'm blowing my load on it. Totally. I'm like, I am not running from this. I'm going to talk about it. If you guys think it's too soon, you're all on Zoom. You already lost. We have all lost. We're on Zoom. We're hiding from a sniper (laughs) called COVID, and its theme is no lives matter, okay? Mm -hmm. So let's not pretend. We're just hanging out like, oh, you know what's on my vision board at the top? It's Zoom. Zoom is my vision board center image. No. This is not ideal. (laughs) This is not my dream. We are all barely making it here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm glad we're all here doing this, but let's not pretend that we're not in some ridiculously traumatic time and that was it's very freeing to do that it's also scary because now we're not pretending like sometimes i do these shows and no one talks about anything Mm -hmm. other than their their material they're working on they're not talking about the you know the circumstances like you could either be on the titanic and while you're playing your music acknowledge the water that's coming in or just play and no one look don't look at the side of the ship that's sinking Right. right absolutely and and both of those are valid. You know, I had a lot of comics do my show and they just do their material. And that's fine. They're funny. As long as you're funny, it doesn't matter. In this bit featured in the episode, Dating Lessons for Widows and PTSD Fairy, my creative collaborator and I share how their brutal and unflinching honesty actually kind of makes our relationship work. And here's how I found out. The office called me and said, your appointment is canceled because Dr. So-and-so is no longer with us. (gasps) Wow. I sat on the line in stunned silence, then asked, is she dead? (laughs) (laughs) She was not dead, just fucking gone with no explanation. Oh, my God. The treatment I was doing was called EMDR. Mm Mm-hmm. Basically, your doctor waggles their finger in front of your face and your big bad memories turn into normal boring memories. Mm. It's like having a conductor for your nightmares. (laughs) Part of EMDR, apparently, 
according to my shrink who lost her job. Is that what happened? <laughs> I guess. Oh, my God. <laughs> Rumor mill. She was wrong, but she believed uh, she needed to be digging deep into my past for my earliest traumas. Mm-mm-mm. And I found this process insanely frustrating. Mm-hmm. Because I can't remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday, let alone my actual childhood. (laughs) It felt like I was being quizzed for answers that I didn't have, and I was failing the test. And you knew me in high school. I do not like failing tests, Sam I am. (sighs) And is it just me, or do shrinks start acting like Columbus up in our brain noodles? They want to be so important and discover uncharted territories. Excuse me, Doc, but you're not the first person here. I live here already. Stop acting like a colonizer and just listen to me. (laughs) I can tell you exactly how my parents fucked me up. They didn't teach me to pretend to be human. My mom gave birth to me, an alien from outer space, packed me a lunch and said, you're going to do great, sweetie. My parents are why I don't shut my fucking mouth and pretend I'm okay with your dear dead husband's ugly ass recliner. Oh, you bitch. (laughs) I should be saying, it's so lovely that you get to cuddle up in his cozy chair and remember him. But instead, I want to say stupid shit like, it literally looks like a walrus. (laughs) Walruses aren't cute? Uh, Yeah, but do they belong in your living room? I I mean, does a dead body? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. No, one of the reasons that I appreciate you as a friend is because you were like, your dead husband's chair is ugly as sin. And I'm like, this person will always tell me the truth. And one reason I appreciate you as a friend is you'll always remember I said that. (laughs) Quote my exact words back to me. And like, it's a little embarrassing, but I also feel famous. Actress Reagan J. Pasternak from HBO's Sharp Objects, Sci-Fi's Winona Earp, Netflix, Hulu, and HBO's Being Erica, BET's Miss Pat, and author of Griffin's Heart, Mourning Your Pet with No Apologies, a memoir, healing journal, and keepsake, stopped by to chat with me about her book and shared with me one of her funniest stories about childhood trauma. So that being said, what's the funniest grief humor story you have for me? Oh, boy, that list is so long. <laughs> Where to begin? Well, you know you know something? I think I was going to tell you something completely different, but um, circling back to the book is that I have a section called Disenfranchised Grief. So mm-hmm. so when you say the, the funniest grief story that you have, I believe there are so many forms of grief, and um, they don't need to be compared. They're just, you know, if you're feeling like you lost something, if you're feeling like something was tragic for you then it's grief and whether whether society deems it grief or not so I would say that I I was just telling my sister this this story this morning actually I had a memory the other day of being taken away from my mom that last day Mm -hmm. when I was I, I seven or eight and it got really really bad and it was probably her lowest moment my my poor sweet mama who really just was really just so unbalanced at that time and the police had to take us me and one of my sisters away and um (laughs) oh god I mean it's the saddest day of my life when I really think about it and for sure the saddest day of her life because all my mom wanted to do was be a mom you know and but that said uh the police put me and my sister in the back of a car 
And all the neighbors had come out because we were in this little Jewish suburb where these things didn't happen, that the police, you know, swarming a house, you know, and, you know, it just, it just didn't happen. We, we, it was a pretty little cute neighborhood. <laughs> they were all out staring, seeing, oh my gosh, what happened at the Pasternak residence? And I was frantically waving at them in the back of the cop car, like, guys, I'm in a cop car. We almost died. We're in the cop car. And now we're going to the police station. And my, my oldest sister, my poor oldest sister who got what was really happening. And oh my God, she'd been through so much, um, grabbed me. And she's like, no, don't this is not a good thing, Reagan. This is not a good thing. So I'm there. You go. See, you're laughing too. It's mm-hmm. it's horrific and tragic, and especially now that I'm a mommy, I I can't even imagine that day for my poor mom. Mm-hmm. But you know how our mind operates, and that was you know that was a horrific day for me too. I have you know, nightmares about that 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 situation. But yeah. but that part of it, uh, that memory came to me pretty recently. <laughs> After my husband passed away, my dog needed 22 of her teeth removed, and I had convinced myself at this point that everybody I cared about was going to die. This resulted in an interesting vet visit, to say the least, which I talk about in this episode called Star-Crossed BS and Widlife Crisis. I'm going to call 2020 a win. It wasn't as bad for me as it was for a lot of other people. Nobody died in my apartment in 2020, so... My year was actually marginally better than 2019. There were no deaths in the apartment this year. <laughs> Can't complain. Can't complain. Bart. <laughs> there was the person I was before I tried to resuscitate the love of my life, and then there's the person who's left after that. And I'm coming to find that that person lacks a lot of social graces. <laughs> Like one of the widows in my support group recently was talking about how to tell someone your husband is dead for the first time. And my first thought was, that's just how I enter an establishment. I kick down the door like a giant toddler and go, hi, I'm Tani and my husband's dead. I found his body. Do you want to see a picture? Not of his body, but of when he was alive. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my my God. That's really good. And her reaction versus my reaction made me realize there are many different types of widows, and we all react in different ways. Mm -hmm. For instance, you have your fitwids. Those are the ones who have that weird genetic thing where they exercise and it makes them feel good. Oh, yeah. And they just go full on into that. Do you know how many (laughs) widows start running marathons? (laughs) It's impressive. Then you got your spiritual widows, as I call them, the spittos. And those are the ones that actually like the good vibes, the thoughts, the love, light, the bullshit. Mm -hmm. And then you have the sarcastic widows. Mm -hmm. The sarcastic widows are usually the ones who had an upfront and center seat to the horror show when their partner died. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that that just messes you up permanently. So you have to make new friends who can handle that, which isn't easy when there isn't a pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like, have you ever tried to make friends in your 30s? And I I mean, try. And, and it's like, I'm pretty friendly and extroverted. It's still fucking weird and it's, hard. It is. Thank you. Like, it's nerve-wracking, though, because I know what's wrong with me. I'm widowed. But why are you lonely? What's wrong with you? <laughs> we know what's wrong with me. Are you also the survivor of tragic circumstance, or are you lonely because you're fucking weird? 
<laughs> and not in a good way. Mm. Like, widows are weird. I know that. It's not like they're not. Don't get me wrong. That creepy, scary widow thing in horror movies, I totally get where that comes from now. <laughs> I do the goofiest, scariest shit in front of some people, Sam. I had to take my dog to the vet on Tuesday. She's fine. I just always think she's dying because my husband died, but she's fine. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that some widows will do is talk to their dead spouse and kind of like imagine they're there. Mm-hmm. If if you've ever seen The Haunting of Hill House, which I'm sure you have not, there's a I widower. Guess. You have? Yes. Oh, my I God. Saw, like, the first two and a half seasons and then forgot. Well, you just ruined my joke because you surprised me. You don't watch anything. We'll just pretend <laughs> I didn't watch this show that has a super hot queer woman who wears suspenders and oh, this is why Tony and I dated. I like, I'm your type. It's probably not going to work, but she's hot. <laughs> So since you have seen The Haunting of Hill House, there's a widower. I don't remember any of it. I don't remember any of it. Okay. Here's a refresher. There's a widower who does this on the show. He imagines his dead wife is there and he talks to her. And it's pretty similar to what is going on, like what I'm imagining when I talk to George like he's still here. Anyway, I'm in the car with Babs and the vet tech meets me there because it's COVID to take her in for her appointment. Mm -hmm. And she asks me what's going on with Babs. And I say... Well, last night we noticed she was doing the sculpting thing with her tongue, kind of like a lizard, and she has GERD, so it might be that, but she also has that sensitive trachea thing, so we just wanted to bring her in to be safe. (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying we as I'm talking to this vet tech, which wouldn't be weird in and of itself, but I'm like motioning to the passenger side of my car as if George is sitting there. You've seen me do this at home, actually, Sam. I gesture to his chair or to, like, a picture of him on the wall as if he's part of the conversation. It's super sad, super creepy, but from what my therapist has told me, also super normal. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) this vet tech does not know that I'm a widow. (laughs) This vet tech just sees a 30-year-old woman in her pajamas with bedhead, glasses askew, no makeup, dark circles under her eyes. And I'm clutching this eight-and-a-half-pound shaking Muppet to my chest as I'm motioning to the passenger seat of the vehicle that's parked crooked and saying, we just wanted to bring her in to be safe. (laughs) And I'm realizing that that's what's going on as I'm looking at her face and there's confusion in her eyes because on one hand, I look and sound insane. But on the other hand, I'm obviously really concerned and attentive when it comes to my dog. (laughs) So she's just kind of staring at me and I can see her trying to work out, do I need to intervene for this dog's well-being or do I not? (laughs) So I'm like, I need to handle this situation, you know, reassure her. So what I do is I go, my husband is dead and I'm used to him sitting in that seat right there because we did everything together. So I still talk to him. Oh boy, we were the best of friends. Shiny, a fellow widow and host of the Lipstick Laundry podcast, was kind enough to chat with me about how she also uses dark humor and podcasting to cope with her grief. In addition to stories about being receptive to husband ghost sex, Jamaican widow traditions, and wearing your dead spouse's clothes. I'm Jamaican, and we have, apparently, a couple Jamaican rituals that you're supposed to do um, when someone passes away. So... Two of those things, one was, um, like, you have to apparently wear black underwear for, like, I don't know, a month, three months, something like that. 
my mom tells me this. My mom's like, oh, you have to sleep in underwear, you know, because you don't want anything messing with you. I was like, what? <laughs> if this man wants to come back and start something up in the middle of the night, like... <laughs> I might be down with that. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> Panties off. <laughs> like, oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> like, what? I, I miss him. Hello. Did you forget that? <laughs> you know? So that was definitely one of them because I was crossing all types of boundaries. I was just like, I don't care about these widow Jamaican rules. Like, I don't care about that. Um, another thing was. Um, you got to take like his clothes, like um, like a pair of like an outfit that he would wear all the time. You're supposed to take it, put it in a bag. And then um, we lived like in like a townhouse complex in the back. Mm. So my dad was like, he'll walk with me all the way to the front. Mind you, I don't walk that often. I've never walked to the front of my building. It's a lot of walking. Who does that? But he was like, we need to walk up there. We need to say the 23rd Psalm going up. And then you put it down. Like, you, you know, you, you put it down anywhere, I guess. Um, like, I just threw it out and it landed in the street. And um, then you're supposed to walk, not looking back, walk all the way back to your house. And, you know, that's another ritual. Honey, I did that whole ritual with my dad. And you know what I did after? As soon as I got to my house, my friends were there. And I was like, can you drive me back out there? <laughs> and I went and I picked up his clothes. <laughs> I was like, I'm not ready. Sorry. I'll probably yeah. do this again. But not right now. <laughs> That's too funny. I actually, I still wear George's clothes. Oh, God, me too. Yeah. All the time. His sweatshirts are the best. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love it. That's one of the things I'm really grateful for is that he was pretty short. So we were able to share a lot of clothes. So it's like sweatpants, sweatshirts. I have a whole new wardrobe now. Thanks, babe. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty tall. We're both like tall and skinny. I'm like 5'10". He's like 6'2", or was 6'2", 6'3". So um, yeah, the shirts, they fit me. They fit me. And I could literally get away with wearing like, you know, one of his um, his t-shirts or his sweatshirts to work with like jeans and you know you think it's mine but I'm like all snuggly in it you know thinking about my boo when I found Lisa Kefoffer's podcast grief is a sneaky bitch I knew that she was my kind of people in this segment she shares some of the funniest moments surrounding the absurdity of being a widow and gives some excellent professional perspective as a master of social work Eric and I were a group of like eight couples. And then it was like seven couples and Lisa. That's what I used to refer to the group name as. I was like, <laughs> welcome to seven couples and Lisa. It's like a bad sitcom show. But anyway, so I would definitely sometimes when I was, especially early in the date, maybe that your first year or two when I would show up for parties, I would kind of make those kind of crack wise comments in some ways to kind of let other people off the hook a little. Cause I, you know, I got that, did you ever walk into a room and like, I felt like the heads spin and like, you're like spotlight on the widow coming in the room. Oh, every you know? time. Yeah. Right? I always time? end up taking out my, every time I always, you know, I mean, it's COVID now, but no, but pre-COVID, yeah, pre-COVID, <laughs> pre I would, you know, take out my phone and flip on the little mirror part. And I'm like, is there something on my face? I like exactly. I must look goofy or something. <laughs> exactly. Everybody does that dough in the headlights thing. They do yeah. that. They do that. The tongue click. <gasps> oh, oh, how are? 
Oh. Head, don't forget oh. to set the head tilt to the side. Yeah, I'm doing it right now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think I used humor a little bit, again, not stand-up comedy humor, but I would sort of like make deferential kind of little remarks, or I would kind of break the ice, be like, welcome to the seven couples and Lisa party, mm-hmm. you know, just something like that to just kind of, but it wasn't just for them, to be honest. It was for me too, mm-hmm. because I felt a lot of pressure to not bring other people down, mm-hmm. to sort of rise my mood to meet the party or to meet the occasions, not always at a party, but just wherever I was arriving. Mm-hmm. And it also kind of gave me permission to loosen up a little too. So I've definitely used humor. I even remember like the first week, maybe after my husband died, my best friend, who was the one who came and literally peeled me out of the hospital bed. I was with my husband when he died. And mm-hmm. I was, I'm a big exerciser. That's how I like manage my mental health. And she dragged me into this like kick-ass spin class that we used to go to. And I remember thinking like, how the hell am I even at the gym? I don't even know that I had slept. I was, you know, in a surreal bubble. And I remember the instructor doing one of those like, you've never faced anything this hard before. Put it all on the table. I don't really want to hear about your, like you, you can't even, this is the hardest thing you're going to do all week. And I remember like turning to Susan and being like rolling my eyes and not quite laughing because I wasn't ready to laugh at, yet after a week, but I was like, is it, is it really the <laughs> hardest thing I'm going to do this week? Definitely. So even that as an example, like even in my early days, I was like, I, this, because grief is so surreal. Mm-hmm. I think you can't not use humor. Thank you so much for joining me to recognize this milestone today. I couldn't produce the show without all of your support and love. I hope you'll join me next week for more stories and dark jokes. For more information about Death is Hilarious, visit deathishilarious.com. To get in touch, email deathishilarious at gmail.com. You can support the podcast by subscribing, becoming a patron at patreon.com deathishilarious, or by simply sharing the show with your friends and on social media.